1: This live stream is brought to you by the Water Corporation. Western Australia has its own unique climate and with that comes its own set of challenges, particularly when it comes to creating a beautiful garden. Water Corporation has a wealth of resources to help master your garden, including a Waterwise plant directory, irrigation tips and popular garden designs. To find out more, visit watercorporation.com.au forward slash waterwise.
0: And there we are. Good morning. Welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. Of course, this is our very special Waterwise edition this morning. We are going to be gardening the WA way. So this is really a broadcast across Western Australia, and we've got some great advice for you coming up today. It's all, of course, thanks to our friends at The Water Corporation, and we're streaming across Facebook and YouTube, and we've got a huge 90 minutes of content coming up. So make sure you've got your coffee, sit back, relax. And the most important thing, of course, with this particular type of broadcast is it's a two-way street. I'm here to answer your questions. And we've got some special guests arriving as well throughout the session. I should say, when we ask you questions, there will be some prizes up. We've got the last two copies ever of the West Australian Garden Guide, which uh Um, They're the last ones I've got, so I've got two of those for you. I have got the beautiful um, Two Dogs and a Garden. It's a gorgeous book. And because we are in rose season, I have got one of the very last copies of the Rose, the book as well. And we will also have a whole heap. I think there's something like 10. Am I right, Michaela? Yes, there's 10 packets of seeds. Of course, it is the time to be planting and growing vegetables. Most of you will be out there doing that already, I am sure. And what I will do is uh, through the sessions, the best questions will be guaranteed to win. A, best questions will be guaranteed to win a packet of seeds. Now I'll just talk to you about uh, what is coming up on the on the, the show today. Um, outside of our our questions and our answers for you. Con Paino from the Turf Growers Association of WA will join the show a bit later on. He's got some great tips. Now's the time to really get your lawn into shape. He's got some great tips on how to do it. Heath Oakley, my mate from Rich Grow. Rich Grow is a very, very very West Australian company. Multiple generations they've been serving the needs of West Australian gardeners. And the work that they do with regards to our local climate environment is really important. He's going to talk about the use of Products that are water wise accredited and why it's so important and what goes into creating them. Horticulturalist Claire Palmer is joining joining us a bit later on. She's going to share what your local nursery can do to help improve your garden. It's vitally important information and very few people have the experience, Claire does. So I'm really looking forward to catching up with Claire a bit later on. Now remember, when you do ask your questions, please pop in your suburb. It actually makes a difference, particularly here in around the Perth metro area. And as, you, as we're going along, if you have a question that's asked or answered, or maybe you like an interview, or there's something else that you like about the program, hit your like button. It shares it with your friends. Now, before we actually get into um, the questions and answers, and they are all flowing through already. So we've got some pretty good ones uh, already up on screen. Um, And and remember, you can also send photographs. If there's something you're asking me specifically about a plant, send us a photograph. I wanted to quickly talk about the weather. It's very important. So you look at where we are now, we're in October, we are seeing declining rainfall patterns and the the soil is slowly starting to dry. And also the days are getting warmer, as we saw on Friday, some really quite warm weather. Now, in the Nunga Budja country, which is the country that we live in, this is the Camarang season, and that's sort of October to November. This is when you start to see the drying, the plants that start producing their fruits, and this would be when people are traditionally picking and enjoying some of the produce as that comes through, because the animals are eating it. Uh, obviously, um, some of these fruits are things, and and vegetables and herbs are things that would have been part of Nungar diet as well. As people slowly migrated their way south, following the food as, as plants basically matured into that season. This is a very important time of the year. This is not necessarily the time to be upping your water supply to your garden. In actual fact, it's a very good time of the year to start to let your plants harden up a little bit. This is really important to understand that as we move into this season, if you're pouring lots of water on your plants, what will happen is they'll remain soft and our next season is the hot season. And that's when plants will really stress and suffer if they haven't slowly acclimatised and adjusted to the season. So artificially increasing the moisture levels in your soils, not necessarily a good thing for your garden. So maybe a little bit. I have, I've run my sprinklers once in the last week. Uh, it was yesterday because of that hot weather. And, of course, it's my watering day as well. But prior to that, I actually had my sprinklers turned off and I've only been hand watering. So we just need to watch what we're doing at the moment with how we use water in the garden. Really important. Just looking at the weather ahead during the week, and this is another reason why you don't need to turn your sprinklers on just at the moment. We've got chance of uh, well, 5% chance of rain today, so it's later in the day it's predicted to possibly come through. Tomorrow there's a 50% chance of rain it's going to be 22 degrees on Sunday, Um, still only probably one or two mils of rain, so it's not a lot. Monday, temperatures pick up again, 25 degrees, but there's a 30% chance of rain with probably up to a mil of rainfall. Tuesday is when it all happens. We're expecting a serious weather system to come through, 20 to 30 mils of rain. Now, this is a guarantee that once that's happened, you will not need to bother about watering your garden for at least another week. Okay, so our gardens on average, you're going to need about 20 mils of water a week. And that's why I wanted to emphasise that just at the moment, think really carefully, let your plants get a little bit of stress into them. It actually does them the world of good. You don't want to see them you know, literally dropping all their leaves and wilting and, and dying. But what you do need to do is let them stress just a little bit They need to harden up for this hot weather that is going to come. It always does. It always has and always will. All right, we'll move into some of these questions. Luba is in the northern suburbs of Perth. My lemon trees' leaves are turning yellow, but the plant itself has lots of new flower buds. What am I doing wrong? Actually, Luba, you're not doing anything wrong. This is a fairly typical thing with lemons particularly if they're just lacking a, a few sort of trace elements in the soil. And I reckon that is exactly what's going on with yours. It's not a bad time to be giving your citrus a little bit of a feed as they're flowering, because as they set their, their buds, uh, as they set their, their little fruit, uh, it'll be determined by the amount of moisture that's in the soil at the moment and the nutrients that are available. And often what will happen is plants are amazing. They'll move from their old leaves to their new leaves, nutrients, nutrients, Uh, or or vital minerals, things like iron, magnesium, calcium, um, and they'll move them from the old to the new and then they'll drop the old. Now, if you've got enough of it in your soil, they tend to hold all of them. So you tend to have a big, thick, lush green tree. But this is how plants manage their nutrients. And as I mentioned, the season is changing and as soon as you start to see a little bit of stress, it's not an unusual thing for trees that are in that situation to drop their foliage a little bit. Kelly is in leaming. Hello, Kelly. Uh, my ficus tree has black dirt-looking stuff on the leaves and many leaves have fallen off over the past few months. What's happening to it? What do I do to fix it? Thank you. Okay, Kelly, look, uh, it would seem to me that you've probably got something called sooty mould. Now, sooty mould is only, um, it's a pretty benign fungus, actually. It's not there. It's not actually eating your plant in any way at all. It's covering over a sugary substance uh, called honeydew, which is left by ants. And the ants will be farming scale and scale loves ficus trees. So this is how sort of the whole ecosystem sometimes works and you need to be able to get control of one, the ants, and two, probably take a look at giving that as a bit of a treatment for the scale. Now, the good news is you don't need to use some nasty chemical here. I'd take it outside, I'd give it a really good wash down because that'll wash most of that black dirt looking stuff, which is the sooty mould we're talking about. It'll wash it off the foliage. The scale, at exactly the same time, I would let the tree dry and the way you treat the scale is you get horticultural oil. So this is used to be called white oil and there's a few different forms of it these days. What I would do is I'd give the tree a really good spray with it all over all the foliage under and on top and also on the stems. Now, what it's going to do is it's going to gloss your tree up. Your tree will just look glossy and healthy, but that oil smothers over the scale, which can't move around and won't be moved by the ants. By doing that, um, you'll get rid of the scale and the tree will be strong and healthy. The last element to this particular story is that you need to give your plant a good feed right about now. And the way to do it is to use a controlled-release fertiliser. Now, controlled-release fertilisers will steadily release those nutrients over many, many weeks. In fact, most of them most of them you will find that they are in a situation where they feed small amounts every day. Some do need more this time of the year, but most will just love a steady feed, just like us. And the important thing with that is to make sure that you give them a give them a, a controlled release, which will feed over four to six months give it a bit of a water over the top take your plant back in you really won't need to do anything else probably till february march because it should grow strongly it should look fantastic and you won't have any pest problems how good's that Okay, we'll keep moving on. There are a lot of good questions coming through. Rebecca from Hilbert has asked a good question. That is, what's the best time to trim of the year to trim Eremophilus? And I did mention we were talking to Claire Palmer a bit later on, and Eremophilus are one of the most beautiful plants that you will ever get. Of course, they're native plants to WA, or most of them are. And... Uh, one of the great nurseries that sells native plants is Xantheria Nursery. In fact, it's won so many awards for the amazing work the team there do. We will ask uh, we will ask a bit later on a little bit about that one as well. So put that one in your diary, Claire, is something to talk about. But um, one of the things that you do know is that as soon as they finish flowering, it's not a bad time just to trim them up and get them into shape. You don't need to trim them hard. It's more about shaping your plants and getting a nice, ideally compact sort of shape they should have, majority of them anyway, should have finished flowering now. So uh, we've got a big planting of them at the Water Corporation and uh, my, my team, my landscape team, will be going through and trimming up many of the native plants that have finished flowering in the next month. So we're heading into the right time of the year. As soon as it's finished flowering, give it a light trim, Rebecca, that's the answer. Suzanne is in late grace. We are flying along. We've got some really good questions coming through, and Suzanne's got a, a terrific one. I've got a red flowering gum as a street tree. It's healthy. It's about fifteen years old, but it's never flowered. I've got another one in the yard that's always flowered. What am I doing wrong? Well, you're not doing anything wrong. Um, if anything, maybe it's it's something that you're doing right. It's the weirdest thing, but plants all perform differently. A bit like us, you know, we're all individuals, and we all. Bloom at different times of our lives, and that's exactly what's going on here. It would suggest to me that the red flowering gum as a street tree is actually very healthy. It's very happy, and it's not in any need at this moment in time to be producing flowers and, of course, fruit and seed as a consequence of those flowers. This is this is just nature. So, the tree, if you really wanted to try and trigger a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, flower, you'd probably want to avoid make sure it's not getting watered any supplementary watering or there's something there that's made this tree super happy so uh, don't feed it make sure you're not watering it it doesn't need it anyway these are native native trees that really will do very well on their own and uh, hopefully that little bit of stress will get the plant thinking it's about time I start reproducing and that's when you'll see all the beautiful flowers of a red flowering gum Matt, you are in Beldivis. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Can natives in a myrtle garden be propagated by cuttings? Oh, sorry, in the myrtle family be propagated by cuttings? So lily pillies, definitely. Bottle brush, absolutely. In fact, commercially that's how they would be uh, grown. So all the commercial growers would do it that way. A little bit more difficult with gums. So uh, the myrtle myrtle family is a very broad family of plants and... um, there's some of them that, that do perform better. Gums, these days, there are a lot of gums that are grafted and that's for different reasons. But um, that whole idea of when you grow them from seed, you get variation. And that's the downside to to growing things from seed because sometimes you can end up with something that's a really beautiful, we're just talking about red flowering and gums, um, really beautiful, rich red colour. And then from the same parent plant, you'll take a seedling and it'll come out and it'll be a softer, maybe almost a pink colour. And you'll go, well, how can they be from the same parents? Well, it's because just like our children, all of them are different. And uh, that's what happens is you do get variation. The way you solve that is by taking cuttings because then it's true to the parent because it's basically an extension of the parent. When you do it with, with something like a gum, uh, the way they retain those really beautiful red flowers or those strong pinks that you're seeing with all the grafted gums these days, it's because they're grafting. So they're literally taking a cutting and grafting it onto a rootstock so that it remains true to the original colour. Fair bit of explaining. I hope that understand. I hope you understand what I'm I'm saying there. Now, look, I'm very excited because we've got Claire Palmer joining us, and Claire is going to press her. But that's fantastic, and hopefully, we can say hello to you. Good morning, Claire.
2: Good morning, Trevor. Good morning. You're and come. good morning to your gardening guru audience out there. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Great thanks for joining you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us. It's fantastic to to catch up and to be able to talk about this. This is such a wonderful time of the year, and so many of us are getting out into gardens. Tell us a little bit about Xanthoria Nursery.
2: Well, it's an actual. It's wonderful to work at Xanthoria. I I absolutely love it. We're a passionate team here, and yeah. uh, we're an Australian native. Boop, Generally, we we generally focus on Australian natives here at Xanthria, but we also have, you know, wonderful indoor plant sections and beautiful seedlings, herbs. So we do do a lot of stuff, but we focus on those Australian native plants.
0: Now, we were just talking about, you know, West Australian natives in particular, Um, It's not easy to get those those plants that are necessarily endemic to your local area. This is something you guys for a long period of time have worked really hard at. We're just talking about Eremophilas as a good example of beautiful plants that, you know, that I I suppose are really quite a specialist plant to some people. But once you've got them in, you realise how beautiful they are. We'll just ask that question about pruning. What's your advice there?
2: Oh, Trevor, I thought you gave really great advice there. Um, yeah, we generally give the the advice of flowering, um doing a light prune after flowering, just like you said, and and pruning to shape. I I thought you nailed it. It was good advice. Thank you.
0: It's um, it's one of those one of those things with with the They they are a really beautiful plant, but keeping them yeah. in shape just brings a, a whole new level to their beauty, oh, doesn't it?
2: Absolutely. They are the best. And once you Once you start collecting Eremophilas, it's hard to stop. You become a bit obsessed. Well, certainly I have. I I absolutely adore them. And your listeners might be interested to know that the term Eremophila actually in Latin means desert lover. So they're a perfect water-wise plant.
0: Mm, perfect. And that's really the, the the key message of this morning is making sure that we garden in a Waterwise way. And where that all begins is in your local Waterwise accredited nursery, isn't it?
2: It certainly is. And uh, we're very proud to be a Waterwise, uh, to, to fly the flag of being a Waterwise garden centre. And we have been doing this. Actually, I was talking to Jackie, who's uh, um, the owner of it. And she was saying that it was back in 1995 that we actually became uh, a Waterwise gardener. And we actually found the um, the old uh, the manual that the Water Corporation put together. And, um, wow.
3: so,
2: you know, we, the Water Corp um, has been working closely with nurseries for more than 25, 26 years uh, to get this message out. And it's such an important message.
0: We're playing uh, some footage at the moment, Claire, of uh, of Xanthorea and just how pretty the nursery is. It is a gorgeous nursery. What is What goes into becoming a Waterwise accredited nursery? This isn't just randomly awarded to any old nursery. You actually have to meet a certain standard and criteria, don't you?
2: Absolutely. Um, all our staff go through training to, uh, and in fact, I just did some, I just renewed mine again this year and it was wonderful. So yeah, we're all trained and uh we have lots of information here at the nursery that you can um, can get. You can get your information off our website and also here in in the store. And um, we we when our customers come in, we take time to really listen to what it is that they're wanting to to achieve in their garden. It's there's a lot of listening, and then there's a lot of asking questions. So Trev, we always ask our quest, We always ask our customers sort of, what sort of soils? What what is the plant going to endure? What is, are they going to be in pots on balconies? Are they going to be? What sort of soils are they going to be in? What sort of environment? Uh, is it a shaded environment? Is it a coastal environment? Lots of questions get asked, and through that process uh, we try and find the best plant that's going to suit that condition and we will try and always pick the best water wise plant for that, that location.
0: You know, we've got some some lovely comments coming through. Jan has said, Zantharia is my favourite nursery. I've been going there for the past 20 years. Can't go wrong. Great advice always. And that's yeah. really, you know, that that's credit to, to Jackie, Alec and you and all the team there. You do some amazing work providing local advice. And this is kind of the critical thing here is when somebody comes in and you'll note when I started the session, I always say, tell us what suburb you're from, because there's a big difference between Bassendine Sands to the coastal sands and how you treat your plants and your garden in that environment, isn't there?
2: Absolutely, there certainly is. And here at Zantharia, we actually have, the way we've set the nursery up is there are actually bays that actually hold coastal plants plants that can endure wind salt on the wind windy conditions you know our alkaline soils sandy soils and we work really hard to make sure that those plants really can perform well so our customers can walk to that bay and feel confident that if they pick a plant from that bay it's going to do well for them and then we have our shaded areas we have um so, the way it's set out really helps our customers um, to find the right plant for their needs.
0: It's kind of a natural sort of intuition. you you're moving along and you'll see the plants where they're located, and you'll obviously see the signage. This is a, a big yeah. part of it. It's telling the story about those areas and and that's one of the things with your you know your positioning of these kinds of plants as well, isn't it? So having the right signage, being able to either one ask a question or two, Find your location by just reading through the information that's provided.
2: Yes, yeah, right. And you know, our staff just—the wonderful thing about our staff is that we have a, a real. We are all gardening uh, nuts. We will love it. We will. We all have our own gardens, and we all we all garden in different parts of Perth. So, you know, if I haven't really garden intensively on you know down on the coast because I live up in the hills you know I've got one of our staff members who's really put her heart and soul into building a garden in that so we always can bounce off each other and get that information for our customers so they really have success and that's what we're focused on we're really focused on ensuring our customers you know build the garden that they are trying to in the best possible way and have the success that they're looking for. And I was just going to say that, you know, it's so wonderful at the moment. So many of our customers are really wanting to plant uh, for habitat for birds mm. uh, or uh, there's so many people wanting to plant trees to green our planet and being part of that conversation and being on the the front line of that as a horticulturalist is is exciting and it's wonderful to help people get the success. But of course, we've got to do it in a mindful way, and you know, being you're giving them current and accurate advice on how to save our precious water resource is is our number one.
0: Well, Claire, look, I've got to to tell you, we're getting bombarded by your fan club at the moment. Eve (laughs) has said, love this nursery for the variety they have. Such a lovely way to spend a morning or an afternoon. Rebecca, love Xanthorea nursery. Always get great advice. Everybody is super friendly and the plant range is amazing. And that bit about being friendly, that's because you guys all love what you do. You're passionate about what you do and you make it easy. And I think you've, you've hit on something here, is that when you get the right advice, it tends to be that you find your success rate is so much higher and just a little bit of success suddenly turns into a lot when you're starting to learn and go along. So it's the perfect place to learn about water, water-wise gardening, isn't it?
2: Oh, it definitely is. And I think the key is listening.
0: Mm-hmm. We
2: have to listen to our customer and he, and hear where they are in their journey and then uh, uh, adjust the advice for for where they are. So I think it's really important that... We um, embrace where our customer is, we listen to what their needs are, and, you know where their skills are at, and then we mm-hmm. take them along in the journey. And, you know, that means, you know, giving them that water wise advice is t- teaching them about soil, teaching them about plant adaptation, you know, mm. why we why we're picking these plants for that spot. And it's all about educating people so that they understand that they understand more about the science and um, of gardening.
0: Yeah, and look, it's a wonderfully natural thing to do. Of course, the, the tradition this time of the year is for us to be getting out and planting. What are your recommendations for people to be putting into the garden right at the moment?
2: well the nursery is absolutely filled with the most beautiful kangaroo paws at the moment Mm. they are so colorful and they make the the, just they just look gorgeous so uh i would be thinking we're going along those lines now not all water uh, kangaroo paws are you know that water wise there are some that require a little bit more than others Mm -hmm. um i think at the moment one of the more uh, robust kangaroo paws or drought hardy kangaroo paws is one called frosty red and uh, we've got some absolutely gorgeous frost you're know, really fully they're in full flower and i'm looking at one now and they're just <coughs> stunning so frosty red or the king's park um federation flame i these love guys that. they're they're going to be some of the more drought hardy um kangaroo paws. so uh, I would be saying to people we need to spend a little money a little bit of water sorry to get these plants established and you know going in the garden and mm-hmm. then you know once they've they've uh, once they've got their roots down into the soil and they they can get on on their own then you can start you know taking the water off them a little bit but we the those guys are they're, they're beautiful they, they make any garden and the birds love them of course as well
0: Claire, you've done a great job. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. There's so much inspiration, and today's the day to get out to your local waterwise gardens. And I pop into Santa Ria. and you're going to be you're going to be out there yourself.
2: Oh yes, we're ready for a really busy day. Uh, okay. Our weekends are pumping at the moment. It's exciting. To, we look forward to seeing all our lovely customers coming in and buying beautiful plants for their gardens. Because you Good know, garden, gardeners are saving the world, Trev.
0: <laughs> they are well look you know what it's plants plants will save the planet there is no doubt about it and and we get the chance to lead the way which is fantastic We're
1: part of the solution right
0: yeah. thanks, thanks so much Claire. you okay. take care it was great chatting to you again this morning
1: this live stream is brought to you by the water corporation Western Australia has its own unique climate and with that comes its own set of challenges, particularly when it comes to creating a beautiful garden. Water Corporation has a wealth of resources to help master your garden, including a WaterWise plant directory, irrigation tips and popular garden designs. To find out more, visit watercorporation.com.au forward slash waterwise.
0: Look, it's absolutely fantastic chatting with people like Claire you can see the passion that she has she's just so passionate and that is replicated through everybody you'll meet at Xantharia uh, led from the, the top to the bottom everybody in that team just love their plants and their knowledge of native plants is really probably second to none they are well worth going to visit if you haven't done it before um, just go to have a look at the trophy room there's so many awards there and no wonder it's a great place to visit now look If you want to find a list of Waterwise plants that are suited to your garden, you pop into a Waterwise garden centre. If you're not sure where your local Waterwise garden centre is, or maybe you want a list of plants, you visit thewatercorporation.com.au forward slash plants. So you go to the Water Corporation's website and it is an amazing resource on how to waterwise how to garden in a water wise way which is the only way to garden here in wa it really is a good resource so make sure you check it out now greg he is from parkerville and parkerville's in the hills if you don't know about that folks we've just moved here 18 months ago we've set up water tanks for rain capture and a bore supply for that tank as well about to hook the irrigation pump to this supply the garden and fruit and vegetables, but wanting to put a fertigation system on it. Do you have any recommendations? Now, look, I'll tell you what, this, this is actually a very similar to, system to what I have at home myself. And uh, I, I literally, I do the same thing. So I capture rainwater. I've got, a, I've got a bore that produces a little bit of water from the bore. It's enough to produce about 80,000 litres, which gives us water for much of the summer months through my garden. And that is a, that's a really important thing. Water supply is critical. Delivery of it in a water-wise way is also equally critical. And there are water-wise irrigation supplies. Now, when you go into one one of the things you'll see is they have these fertigation systems on hand. So I'm gonna to suggest to you, Greg, and, and there's a couple of really good ones. There's a great one uh, down in, um, in Midland. And I take a drive down there and whilst you're there, I would go and have a look at the fertigation systems that they have because there's a few different ones and they kind of work differently on different setups. So you really need to explain exactly what your setup is. That will help. Now, folks, remember, as you're sending us mes- uh, sending us questions through and there's, there's a lot coming through, um, First of all, tell us where you are. Make sure you put the suburb in. Sam, I'm going to answer your question in a minute, but I'm not sure what suburb or what location you're in. So it does help me an awful lot, particularly when we're talking about exotic plants, um, to know where you are and what kind of soil you're in. Those things are really important. And if you like what we're doing this morning, please hit that like button. It shares it with your friends. Um, we're very fortunate to have the support of the Water Corporation to produce this because local gardening advice is critical. And you know the Garden Gurus is now a national program. It has been for nearly 20 years now. So we're, we've got ideas coming from all over the country, but probably 40 to 60% of every episode is filmed right here in WA. and We're always talking about local conditions and there's a very important reason for that. So you have to have local knowledge. You have to understand the soils that you've got, the rainfall patterns, all of those things are critical if you wanna get the very best results from your garden, which is why that Water Corporation website is such an amazing resource. If you don't know and if you're looking for some help, or pop into your local Waterwise garden centre. So, okay, we're going to keep moving. Jandicott, let's go and say hello to Eve. Eve, you've asked us about grasshoppers. They've defoliated your juvenile passion fruit vine over winter. Will it survive or do I have to start again? Should I cut it back to the ground? At least the stem is green. I'm going to say to you, Eve, I doubt that It's the grasshoppers doing the problem with or causing the problem with your juvenile passion fruit over winter. I've got uh, quite a few friends in the Janicot area. It gets very cold there. It's one of the coldest spots, certainly in the Perth metro area, it's the coldest spot. Passion fruit don't like it. One of the things they'll do is they get really ratty and they look like bits are falling off their leaves and eventually they'll drop their leaves. The good news is it also gets pretty hot. And as it does, you are going to see really good growth on your passion fruit. The trick right at the moment is to stimulate that growth as the soil warms. So fertilising is the key here. Now, again, I'm going to suggest that you use a controlled release fertiliser, but I'm going to suggest you use a liquid fertiliser at the same time. Now, the liquid fertiliser will be absorbed in through the stem, so wherever it's green, it'll actually suck up some nutrients and that'll get it kick-started. The controlled release fertiliser in the soil only release a small amount. So those roots, as they get going again, they'll take that nutrient up and the combination will really, I suppose it'll supercharge the plant and get it going. So once we get into really hot weather, your passion fruit should be growing like crazy. If you've got any dead, dead sort of stems on that, cut back down to where it's a green point, but don't cut it right back down to the ground. And if this has been a grafted passion fruit, be conscious of the fact that there is a risk when a plant's been through shock like that and it's just the shock of the cold that the suckers the rootstock will sucker up and take over so if you see any growth coming from below the graft you pull that away probably the best advice i can give you because you don't want that root stock taking off it will overtake the the, the plant that you want and, uh, and that's the last thing you need sam i have two very Oh, see, so sam we're not sure where you're from but um i'll try and help We've got two very old pear trees they're approximately 50 years old they're four to five meters tall they fruit very well i've not pruned them before as i'm not sure where to start any hints wait until they've completed fruiting for a start so you're not going to prune them probably until february depending on the variety because pears tend to be a bit later so wait until they finish fruiting and then with the trees that are that old that haven't been pruned it's more about getting shape than anything so Bring, keep keeping them in a in a in a compact sort of shape is one goal. The second thing is to open up and make sure there's no crossing branches that rub against each other. Um, open, try and get a bit of a vase shape if you can, so sunlight can come in through the middle. And you'll find that that's all they need. Pears are pretty hardy, and once they're at that age. Um, you don't have to do an awful lot. James is in Mahogany Creek. I live on a half-acre block in the Perth Hills. Weeds are a huge problem. I hand weed as much as as possible, but I need something else. I don't want to use glyphosate for environmental reasons. Is there an organic substitute to replace it? Um, It would need to be cheap enough to broadcast over a large area. Okay. Going to tell you this one, um, it's a homemade remedy. You will need, you can buy four litres of vinegar, white vinegar, ideally. Um, Get yourself a couple of kilos of salt, put them into a container, mix them up. Um, One of the things with this particular thing is it's quite acidic. And what you do is you spray over the top of the weeds and it'll burn those weeds off. Pretty effective on just about everything except for the real perennials so if it's perennial grasses it'll knock them back but it won't kill them off but everything else it should knock them right back you wait until a warm day don't go spraying this this mixture um, on on a day where it's going to rain you really need at least 48 hours of really dry weather to get the best possible kill uh, using what is basically salt and vinegar it, it dehydrates the plant that's all it's doing you don't want to do this too often so the real long-term solution is to spray it and then come back and mulch and a nice big thick 100 mil layer of mulch a nice chunky organic mulch will stop weeds most importantly it'll keep moisture in the ground and that means that you don't need to water your plants as much Now's the time to do it, James. I hope that helps. Catherine, we're not sure where you're from. Catherine, do Little Ruby usually die off a bit at this time of the year? All ours have lost their leaves. Now, I'm not sure what Little Ruby is. I'm afraid. It's probably one of those promotional names um, for a plant. So I'm going to ask Catherine that you send us a photograph and I will be able to answer it if I can have a bit of a look at it. Um, We might do a little bit of research for you and see what we can find out. Tash is in Kelmscott. Hi, Tash. What will keep my corn, what will help my corn get nice and big with good kernels? All right. Lots of sun, number one thing vitally important. Number two, you do need to have an organic kind of soil additive at this time of the year. So I'm going to suggest to you a slow release fertilizer, but an organic one. Now, you know, manures generally are pretty good. They'll improve the soil, um, but you don't want something that's too strong. So a well composted chicken or cow is really, really good. Or even just doing a nice thick layer of sheep over the top of the soil And it's around the outside of the plant. So that's the kind of the key. And it's all about keeping the moisture levels right at this time of the year. Uh, We'll keep moving on. Domenico is in Stirling. Does it make sense to have a cheap container under the downpipes of the house to catch rainwater? Of course it does. It's a great idea, Domenico. And if you do this and you're collecting that water and reusing it, so don't let it sit around. That's the downside. Otherwise you'll end up with mosquitoes. Um, What you will do is... um, Is get some pretty amazing results. So keep that, use that water on the plants that require large amounts. One of the water wise principles is something called hydrozoning. Now, this is planting plants by their water needs. So, you know, we often, when we set up irrigation systems, lawns have a different irrigation system to say garden beds. The reason for that is lawns have a different water demand to to garden beds and you want to make sure you can control the amount of water that gets to them. Now the same thing goes with general garden plantings, vegetable gardens use more than let's say native gardens. So maybe use those containers full of water on your veggies as a suggestion anyway, but definitely capturing that water is a good idea. Toss, we've got somebody joined us uh, via YouTube from the South Island of New Zealand. Good morning to you, Toss. Any advice on growing finger limes in cold conditions? So finger limes are an Australian native, and Toss, they they can be challenged in cool conditions. Interestingly enough, I've seen them grow beautifully on both the South and the North Island of New Zealand. Um, the, the trick is to make sure that you're getting as much warmth to them as possible and when one of the tricks down there that i've seen is using straw mulch with chicken manure fairly raw chicken manure on top of it about may and that says we're getting into the cooler period of time um, and as that breaks down the the literally the action of the bacterial action of breaking down the organics into a good fertilizer for the finger limes keeps the soil warmer now, as soon as they start to grow in, in the, as the weather warms, and that's one of the big challenges is you've got to wait until you get some, some reasonably warm weather. Once you're over sort of 22, 24 degrees, liquid fertilising and also providing a controlled release fertiliser will do them the world of good. All right, we're going to come back to WA, all right? Claudia is in Gidji Gannett. We're getting quite a few people joining us from the hills, and I love the fact that you're doing that. I live in the hills and I know the challenges up there can be just as tough down as down on the sand plain. So Claudia's question is though, one about fruit trees and this is one that I'm getting a huge amount of feedback on at the moment and it is that Claudia has uh, basically peach leaf curl and she can see it and she wanted to spray sulfur but your sulfur sprays for peach leaf curl actually have to be done ideally sort of May June as soon as they drop their leaves, And then again, just before the leaf bursts, so before they come out of dormancy, you need to come back and hit them again. And ideally with a copper spray in between. She wants to know whether she can spray right now to get control of this. And the answer is no. If you spray sulfur on them now, you're going to burn the foliage. You're gonna set the plant back quite severely. So do not do that. There's two ways to go about it. So one is a completely organic way and it's just a mechanical control. That is go around the tree with a bag, Pull the the affected leaves off, and there might be a lot of them, so it might look a bit bare by the time you're finished. Put them in the bag and don't let that drop on the ground. Otherwise, you're going to have the same problem again next year. You can also use some copper sprays. So there's a couple of sprays out there that as long as we're in relatively mild sort of temperatures, below 25, Um, it won't hurt the plant. And if you can get a week of that, that's probably all you'll need. But uh, things like Coside, which is a copper-based spray, uh, it's cupric hydroxide and it's not as as strong as, say, the Bordeaux mixtures, which do have some sulphur in them. So that's my suggestion. I hope that fixes the problem for you, Claudia. You're going to have to be patient. The most important thing is next year in May, give them a spray then as soon as they drop their foliage, end of May, And then again, probably beginning of August, maybe one or two sprays if it's really bad. Okay, we've been talking about water-wise plants, as we always do. But, you know, gardens are all about the whole big picture. And they mean so much to, to all of us in different ways. One of the things that I just love with my garden is my lawn. I absolutely adore it. It's one of those things that Um, I believe lawns are incredibly good for us. And there's a lot of evidence that says they take up a lot lot of carbon out of the atmosphere, store it more than a rainforest does. So that shows how good they are. And they're a wonderful absorber of pollutants from the environment as well. So that carbon exchange, locking stuff up in the soil, at the same time putting fresh oxygen, they really do make a big difference with regards to our health, not just physically, but also our mental health. Nobody knows the story behind lawns better, I reckon, than Con Pino. Now, Con's a Vice President of the Turf Growers Association at WA, has been growing turf for many years and he joins us this morning. Good morning to you, Con. Good morning, Trev, Good morning. Great, mate. Thanks so much for joining us. There's uh, a few things I would like to talk to you about with lawns. So sometimes lawns get a bit of a bad rap and it's unfair because I think they're a very important part of our garden. Over the years, we've seen the evolution of lawns too. So we've got a group of varieties that are available to us now that are so water-wise. You tell us a little bit about some of the best types of lawns for home gardens. Yeah, well, uh, these days, trips,
4: um, the blocks are getting smaller and the houses are getting taller. So there's a lot more shade in um, the lawn areas that they're putting in and they're smaller areas. So we find um, well, the, the buffaloes having a broader leaf on and they adapt more better to the shaded areas mm-hmm. and the longer you leave the leaf the better it is in the shade so some of the buffalo varieties can go down to about three to four hours of, of dappled light a day if yeah. you mowed high you can't mow them like you would a couch
0: lawn you mow yeah. them anywhere from uh, 30 to 50 uh mils that's that's re- that's actually really good advice i i was going to ask you this a little bit later on but let's just talk about mowing because um, if, you, if you're mowing your lawns really low, they're a lot more exposed as the weather gets hotter and this means that you really have to supplement them with more water to keep them hydrated, don't you? Yeah, there's a there's
4: double-edged sword because if you have a, an older lawn that's thatchy, you really need to get rid of all that thatch so the water can actually get down to the root area so mm-hmm. that the plant can take it up. Um, but once you've got to uh, get rid of the thatch and you have a nice green layer on top, if with regular mowing and watering, the plant will be healthier and use end up using a lot less water. So this that side of it, and the other side is if you, if you have a just a little bit of thatch, that'll hold the moisture as well. So the idea
0: is not to have too much thatch so that the water can get through. This is, a, this is an important time of the year to actually dethatch, isn't it? To, if, you, if you are seeing your lawns getting quite spongy or even, you know, if your lawn's been a little bit sort of neglected or maybe you've done nothing with it for the last five or six years, um, getting out and renovating your lawn right now is a really good idea. Perfect
4: time because the weather's warming up. So if you, if you get out there and dethatch it now, within a three to four weeks it'll be starting to come back healthier and better than ever. Um, there's okay. a couple of ways you can do it. You can... If you want to do it yourself, you can get a, um, what they call a scarifying, which is get a rotary type mower and gradually bring it down in different levels over a mm-hmm. period of weeks. So get rid of all that dead thatch yep. and it'll come back from there. But if you want to get it done pretty quick and have it a professional job, you can get a, someone to come in and verti mow it, which is a way they chop up the, the vertical blades and it mm-hmm. chops up to fine. Uh, de thatches all the roots and it comes up to the top and they mow that off and then end up for hard uh, surface and it's not like starting for new lawn all over again and it's yeah. become healthier and and better than ever.
0: You know, it's it's a really interesting thing. I, I uh, look after one of the properties our landscape business looks after is in Kings Park and l- this time last year we went through and renovated the lawns there at Mount Eliza House and uh, we ran a, a de thatcher, so vertical mower uh, running through and literally verdi mode i was staggered with how much organic material we removed we literally took out cubic meters of it off of what would be an almost typical domestic sized lawn so it's incredible how that carbon can be stored up and of course if it is allowed to dry out it can become water repellent so there's there's a certain amount you want because it'll hold moisture but if it goes too far it becomes problematic and that can cause some of those patches, right?
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. when you're
0: mow, it's also
4: aerating the soil underneath as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect time to put out a wetting agent and fertilise once you're done your mowing, and then yep. your lawn come back vigorous and healthy. So now, Heath,
0: I'm catching up with Heath Oakley a little bit later on in the show to talk about um Wedding agents and why they're so important, but that that process of, of dethatching. Let's say you go through and you you do the mechanical part of it, so you're ripping that thatch out. That's all raked up and taken away. Put that on the compost heap and let it compost up. Makes wonderful mulch for garden beds when it's composted down. What's the next stage once you've removed that? So is it top dressing? Um, if if your level if your levels on your lawn are fine, you haven't got any dried patches that you need to
4: patch up. There's no Mm -hmm. really need to top dress. You only really need top dress if if you've got humps and bumps in your lawn and you want to smooth it out. But the food mowing on its own and a good quality wetting agent is really all you really need to get it going. What about fertiliser? Yeah, I I recommend the slow-release fertiliser. So you're not Mm -hmm. getting that big burst of um, fertiliser into the soil. It just gradually releases over, say, a six or eight-week period and the plant Mm -hmm. takes it up as it needs it. And so none of it's wasted. It all goes into the plant.
0: Those days of throwing 20 kilos of urea over the lawn are long gone, aren't they? We've woken yeah. up to the fact that we'd, we'd be mowing like crazy for three weeks afterwards and then it'll look bad again.
4: That's correct.
0: There's so yeah. many uh,
4: slow-release fertilisers for lawns out on the market
0: now. And
4: they're all they're all good quality. Um, it's just a matter of doing it at the right time of the year. Like now is the perfect time to fertilise. And again, in April before it gets cold is the most other important time of
0: the year to be doing it. Yeah, it's it's really good advice, mate. And and that you know it's it's an important thing. I talk about how plants are just like us; they eat small amounts every day. Um, and you know, if you were to give me a, a big roast dinner and and uh, I ate that, then you didn't feed me for uh, well. The first thing that would happen is that night I would have heartburn and I wouldn't feel too good. And then if you didn't feed me for three or four weeks after that, I'd be just about dead. And then if he gave me another roast dinner, I'd have heartburn again and four weeks later I'd probably be dead. So why, would, why do we treat our lawns that way? Let's give them small amounts every day. It's a lot better to have a balanced diet, isn't it?
4: That's Exactly. Yeah, so the, yeah. the, two, the two most important times is around now and in April. And Through the rest of the year, just the plant will tell you when it needs it. If it's starting to lose colour or it's seeding a lot, just give it another light feed and then it'll be off and...
0: Great, great advice, mate. Look, the other, uh, very, very important, you know, we've talked about the the grass varieties. We've talked about making sure that you're renovating your lawn and that you've got soil preparation right if you're putting lawn in. Um, Sprinklers, watering, critical, right? It is, it is.
4: What we're finding with uh, a lot of the new lawns that are going in these days, there's so many sprinklers on offer. Um, You've got to really know your sprinkler type. Um, It's critical, like, um, you need to do your catch cups and measure how much water you're putting out in a in a um an event to get 10 mil uh, it's very critical because some sprinkler types can take up to 50 to 60 minutes and some can take 15 minutes so it yep. just depends on the type of sprinklers and there's lots of them on offer there's your pop-up sprays which generally they take between 10 and 15 minutes to put out 10 mil then you've got mm-hmm. your rotor type sprinklers which take a lot longer they put out a heavier droplet and more evenly but yep. they, you need to run them a longer time. A so it's like 45 minutes, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you've got yeah. the gear drives, which you can put them out at bigger spacings, but then they're sort of in the middle. You need like 30 to 40 minutes. So
0: yeah
4: you really need to know your watering system and what it's putting out so that you can adjust your timer. So in each event, when you water, you're putting out the
0: correct amount of. this is where a water wise irrigator or irrigation company really does come to the fore just getting that advice on the the right sprinklers the sprinklers you're using for lawns are often quite different to the sprinklers that you're using for garden beds and and that's why you go and get that expert advice because the technology in the last 20 years and con you you know you know you've been in the industry as long as i have hasn't it come a long way oh
4: especially now with these new time clocks these uh wi-fi smart timers they actually yeah know when there's going to be a rain event and they turn your watering system off so it's actually saving you water and, and power and, and and no it's come a really long way and even with yeah. the sprinkler designs um where they're not they're more efficient they're not wasting water um mm-hmm. they counteract the different types of like if you got it in a windy area they've got sprinklers for every sort of place you want to put them in so it's a matter of Going to someone that knows their business, like a Waterwise irrigation company, and they can design and
0: supply you the right sprinklers to put out there. Yeah, and look, those guys, they tend to only stock the products that really that have been accredited as being water-wise. So they can really give you good advice, make sure you're armed with the right equipment. So if you want to do it yourself, you can do it yourself. If not, you can always uh, obviously go and, um, and get somebody to come and do it, and they'll be able to help you with that too. Now, I, I was going to say... Um, there are different types of lawn. We talked about buffalo and there are a lot of different types of buffaloes out there as well. But um, the I remember in my early days in the industry, you would buy packets of seed and they would have tall fescues and these ryes these and things like that, that are just not suited to our lawn environment. And that's why the work that you guys do and and Turf Growers Association of Western Australia um, ensures that we only have varieties that are climate suitable. So buffalo is one. I I know I've got some buffalo at my place. I've got some zoysia grass, which is another type of grass. And the other one that I I think I probably get the best results for because I've got a big area is is some of the improved... um, Kaikuyu grasses, which there's there's been a lot of work done with those. And I thought maybe you could just quickly talk before we finish up about those different types of grasses. Yeah, sure, Truth. Well, the Zoysia is a relatively
4: new grass. It's been, well, let say relatively new, 20 years it's been around in Australia. Um, it's one of the newer ones. It's It has a very vigorous root system like a church grass, so it can be very drought tolerant. When mm-hmm. I say drought tolerant... Um, you could actually let it die, but when you give it water, it will come back. It'll take a while, but it'll come back. Yeah, a lot different to buffaloes. If they're completely dead, they're dead. You've got to replace them because they're a yeah. surface runner they don't have that deep, vigorous root zone. So, that's plus yeah. the plus of the zorzia. And they're a nicer looking grass, they're a finer leaf. So, some people prefer the finer leaf to the coarser leaf of the buffalo. So, that's mm-hmm. becoming very popular in its aesthetics, its appearance and less mowing, it doesn't grow as fast. So that's another added plus why people tend to go towards that grass. Um, The Zorzias have come a long way. They've they've bred them now so they're a lot faster growing. So they use them in like sports fields where they get lots of um, contact sports and running and wear. So they need grasses that are going to recover quicker. Mm -hmm. And and that's why there's three or four new Kaikuri type grasses out there. Um, they're very vigorous, they grow They grow uh, well in that situation. For domestic, I wouldn't recommend them as much because they're a lot faster growing, and it's a higher maintenance and yep. they like the backyard. But in a school or a park or where there's uh, open areas, we get a lot of traffic, it's what mostly one of the better varieties to go for. Um, the common cooch has been around since ever I've been in the industry. And that's yes. a very hardy, tough grass. Um, Anyone can sort of have a couch lawn, you can let it die, give it water, and it'll come back. You can be uh, miss a few mows, mow it hard, you'll scalp it, but you won't kill it, it'll come back. And you can yep. make that a beautiful looking lawn with a lot of um, care you put in it. If you've got a cylinder mower and you fertilise regularly, you can have your lawn like a bowling green. So yep. the average homeowner, they've got different ideas, like some are keen gardeners, and mm-hmm. they want that bowling green looking lawn. I'll tend to go for a cooch, something like that. Then you get the gardener that's not a a keen gardener, doesn't want to be a slave to his garden every weekend. They'll go for something like a buffalo, where they don't need an expensive mower. They can use a rotary and just do it every two or three weeks and have a nice-looking lawn. And then you've got um, the other, the Zorzia. You can mow it tight with a cylinder mower to get that nice bowling green look, or you can mow it for rotary, leave a bit of leaf on it, and it looks like a... Miniature Buffalo Lawn, so they've all got. You can get different appearances out of your different grasses. It's just a matter of how much effort you want to put into
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, it's one of those things. I'm getting asked a lot about weeds in lawns at the moment, and one of the things I, I recommend, in preference to necessarily going out with the chemicals, is just to mow regularly. Because if you're mowing and you're feeding your lawn, and it's got water, and we're getting these beautiful warm days it starts to grow really fast and it'll quickly smother out those weeds. The weeds tend to be broader leafed and the lawn tends to, to, to basically knit together and smother it out, which is um, a, a little bit of advice I give. Just, I, I kind of simplify things a little bit. I, I tend to try and talk about lawns in the terms of fine leaf and broad leaf. So in the broad leaf, kai Buffalo, they sort of sit in that space. The fine leaf, I tend to put here and the coochers together. Um, what are the heights that they, you should be cutting at the moment for those? So we should be adjusting our heights with yes. our mowers at the moment. What, what's yes. your recommendation with the heights for the broadleaf versus the, the fine leaf?
4: Yeah, well, obviously it depends in the situation because every household's different. The shade is the big factor. With a In a shaded area, you need to mow your lawns higher. So if you had mm-hmm. a buffalo lawn and you're in heavy shade, you can mow up to 50 mil high, 40 to 50 right. mil. In full yep. sun, you can mow it as low as you 10, 10 to 15 mils, fine. But yep. just the shade, if you, you wouldn't mow 10 to 15 mils in a shaded area, because mm-hmm. the plant won't have enough light and it'll struggle to grow. So that's that's the key with the buffaloes. Yep. With the um, they're a very vigorous grower. So you need to be keeping them under control. You don't want to be mowing, say, once a month in the growing season, because mm. they will thatch up. So you need to be doing yep. weekly or fortnightly. And the average height, like I mow my lawn at home around 10 mils, like a bowling green. but 10 to 15 mils is the ideal height. Um, but if you're not such a keen gardener and you don't want to mow weekly, you can go to 20 mil, um, mm-hmm. but you have to do it regularly. You don't want to miss it, a couple of mows and then it thatches up. Yeah, then you, good re- you need sharp blades. Like you need, if you've got a good mower, get it serviced, sharp blades, and keep it at that
0: at a good height. Mm, cool, mate. Look, it's great advice, Con. Thanks so much for joining us. You are one of the gentlemen of the of the turf industry. You've made so many great contributions. I feel very fortunate that you were able to join us this morning and share a little bit of your wisdom. You guys, you and Peter, your brother, have, have really lived and breathed this and, and I know how passionate you are about what, um, what you do. So thanks for joining us and sharing your advice this morning. Yeah, thanks, Trev. Nice talking to you nice to catch up with you mate that's um as i said he's one of the, one of the gentlemen of the uh, of the turf industry he just uh, has so much knowledge and it's great to be able to get people like that we're very fortunate here in WA to have because we have such unique conditions to, to be able to get this kind of advice it really is good now if you want to know more about water wise turf growing at home the way you do it it's simple all you do is you go to the watercorporation.com.au forward slash WaterWise, check out that website. It is a great source of WaterWise gardening, turf, irrigation. It gives you all sorts of information. And now is the time to be seeking that info out so that as we move into the warmer conditions, your garden just gets, well, I suppose, as good as it can possibly be. Remember, if there's things that you like that we've talked about today, if this has been good information and it's helped you a lot, hit the like button. We we really do appreciate you doing that, and we appreciate you joining us. Fiona is in serpentine. She has sent through a photograph to us, which is great. Now, it's not a great photo, unfortunately. My weeping birch uh, is suddenly dying. Got no idea what's happening. I've got two. The second one is half dying. What is happening now? There's a couple of things that affect birch. Interestingly enough, coming out of winter it shouldn't be a problem because it's been dormant and uh, it shouldn't have dried out. So the first thing that really impacts them is drying. The second thing is that they are a little prone to borers and beetles that actually peel bark. Now, you need to check the tree and have a look and see if you can see any signs of bark peeling because if it's been peeling, it's been ring barked and that's probably the most likely thing. If the bugs have come and gone, they've gone through a breeding cycle and they're not, they're not staying, there may be a chance it will recover. And the thing to do is to prune it back, back to basically wherever it's green. That's my advice to you. And the same with the second one that's half dying. Um, I would suggest you prune back as much as you can. I would apply some seaweed extract. So something like, um, and I'd be thinking about this, something like sea sole Drench the ground around the base. And I wouldn't be applying a lot of fertiliser at the moment. You're, this is really more about stimulating recovery. I hope that helps. Carol is in Perth. I'm not sure. Maybe it's you're in the city of Perth. Um, when my leucospermum needs trimming after summer, how far do I cut back on each stem? And are there any other tips in keeping it happy? Well, for a start, um, she sent this photo through. I think we've got it up. Yes, fantastic. Um, stunning plant. Leucosperms are beautiful. Now, they're a member of the protea family, but they're not Australian plants. They come from very similar growing conditions, uh, generally in the south of, of the continent of Africa. And the varieties that we tend to see here are actually being bred here in Australia. So in many ways, they've adapted. What they do is they produce big, long stems with lovely big pom-pom heads, very complex flowers, a little bit similar to, say, our banksias. But what's interesting about these, maybe Banksha's wasn't as good a a description as I could give, maybe Grevillea's. Um, But what's really interesting about these plants is they do adapt well to our climate, but you want to prune them back when they've finished flowering and you only want to take those stems back probably no more than 30 centimetres, okay? So this is getting a little bit gangly, this, this shrub, but you don't want it to be cut back too hard because you can cause problems with die-off, so it can set it back. Um, I hope that that helps a little bit. Now, oh, Catherine came back fantastic from Atwell Harvest Lakes. Um, Sorry, I only know these little plants as as little ruby, but they're also known as um, alternatheria. Now, alternatheria is an old-fashioned plant. It's got beautiful red foliage and little ruby now I think about it is one of the promotional names given by the guys from Ozbreed. Um, Really tough little plant. You wanted to know, you planted them eight to nine months ago, growing beautifully. Then about a week ago, all the plants in the back and front lost their leaves. No snails or caterpillars. The one I propagated by growing roots in water and then planting is fine, growing nicely inside. You're in Atwell it is highly likely they've been smashed by slugs. And you won't see the slug activity during the day, you'll see it at night. They can also be affected by a cold snap. So um, getting a frost can cause them to suddenly drop their leaves. So it is possible that you might have had one of those in the last few weeks that has impacted them. The really important thing here at this moment in time is to go back and lightly trim them. So you're probably only taking 10 to 15% of the plant back, getting it a little bit more compact. Give it some, I would suggest, again, go back to the sea sole, give it some seaweed extract to just stimulate that root activity. Don't be scared to give them a feed in a couple of weeks' time, but we just want a little bit more warm weather. We do occasionally get some cold nights. I know last night was warm and humid, but um, there have been some cold snaps. And sometimes that radical change of temperature is what causes them to drop their leaves. Catherine, thank you so much for, uh, for letting us know. Okay, I think, I've, is there one more question that I've got before? No, I have not got one more question. I've got a very important guest joining us. Actually, so we go to the promo? What we'll do is we'll do a bit of a promo because we've got the Garden Gurus coming up again this weekend.
1: This bed is 1.2 metres in length and it has a great depth of 30 centimetres, which means you can grow an assortment of different plants. So if you love your produce or your flowers, you can grow it in this. And it has this handy little division piece so you can keep your veggies controlled while still enjoying a bunch of flowers. You can place it directly onto pavers, concrete, or even grass with weed mat at the base to stop any pesky grass coming through. And lastly, if you're growing produce, make sure to put it in a nice sunny spot.
0: Recently promoted, I think he is now the um, the official guru uh, from uh, Rich Grow. <laughs> Heath Oakley's joining us. He's the National Marketing Manager. Mate, good morning to you. How are you going?
3: <laughs> Thanks for the introduction, Trevor. I don't know if guru is the correct word, especially with some of the guests you've had on today, but... Um... Tough act to follow uh, from Claire and Con there, so um, thank you.
0: No, no, mate. It's great to have you join us. Rich Grow are an iconic West Australian garden supply company. They've done some pretty amazing things over, what, 100 years? Yeah, 105
3: years, Trevor, so fourth um, generation, yes. Um, Tim Richards, the son of Jeff Richards, fourth generation is taking over as managing director, so it's great to have um you know, four generations of the business Australian owned and WA owned.
0: That is that is sensational, mate. It's really good. Rich Grow have done a lot of work. I mean, being based here in Perth, I mean, you supply um, all over the country. I know that. Gardeners everywhere rely on the Rich Grow brands. But um, here in WA, you have lived and breathed uh, the whole water-wise concept. And, you know, this is, this is something that is pretty important. You do a lot of work in developing products that, are ideal for our conditions here in the West. Can you talk to me a little bit about because you've you've got a waterwise approved um, wedding agent and uh, Easy Wet has been something that people have been getting great results with. What what is a wedding agent for a start? Take us back to the beginning.
3: Yes, yeah, I, I guess Con didn't steal my thunder, but I can really talk to what he spoke about before, and, and talking about um, soil preparation and soil health. And you're right. Whilst Rich Grow sort of turned a national brand in 1992 and expanded, our roots here in WA, and, and as we know, the soils and on the, on the coastal plain, and even in the clay soils up where you live, Trevor, is a, a good wetting agent. Is um, is really important. So a wetting agent basically, um, whenever soil becomes hydrophobic, um, it creates a little bacteria around the grains or granules or potting mix or whatever the organic material is. And that's when you get the water pooling on top of the, of the soil. And I know most of your, your viewers and your listeners and, and those probably know that. So, um, but what a wetting agent does is actually break down that bacteria or the, or the um, the stuff around the organic material and just lets the water in. So it's kind of a little bit like, and I don't want to use the term too like a dishwashing liquid where it breaks down the bacteria on your plates, but it's a, a natural safe way of breaking down the bacteria in your soil, around the, the coating around the grains of sand and letting the water in. So that's the easiest way to explain it. People call it soil wetter, people call it a soil soaker, people call it a wetting agent. It's basically letting the water into the roots where it's needed.
0: It's washing off that waxy substance that, that repels water and starts to build up isn't it and by True. doing that it allows even like so one of the things that um you know from a from a horticulturalist point of view i try and explain to people that when plants send their roots through the ground those roots spread evenly they they actually are very very even through the consistent usually just through the topsoil. And that top 150 mil of soil it's vitally important that moisture is consistently seeping through that water but what happens is you start getting pockets of dry and if there's roots going through that those roots they'll dry out and whatever the network of roots beyond that is is lost so you'll start to see uh, one of the most common things is a lot of plants will suddenly get a dead branch and you go why did that one branch die off and it can be related back to where that moisture was being supplied to that branch in the soil those roots have died off and generally it's because we started getting dry pockets and as we move into drying weather conditions it's vitally important we make sure that moisture continues to seep eas- you know easily and consistently through the soil which is why wetting agents so vitally important
3: uh, and it's an important one to not forget your pots trevor as well where I see most people say I'm watering my pots daily I'm watering them weekly, I'm watering my hanging baskets and the water's just falling out and I'm watering and I'm watering. And if you actually pull away some of the potting mix, it's dry as a bone underneath. And you've seen it yep. before, you can put as much water in. And what's happening is the water's actually going outside the potting mix and falling down the sides and it looks like it's seeping in and it's just it's going out the bottom. So we recommend yep. a soil wetter only a little bit but do that as part of your watering re- um, routine for your pots especially in the heat of summer um, and what you'll see and it's simply just just once you water move move the first couple of inches and actually see if that water is going down because if the water's not going down into the potting mix the roots are obviously going to come up as you said they're in their dry pockets so they're going to go where the water is and as yeah. soon as the sun hits hits you know it's a hot day those roots are exposed to the heat in the in the top layer of the soil or even exposed in the in the sun. So You'll see the first, and, and lawns are a classic case, and it was really good to hear Con talk about a soil wetter because we I'm, you know, we follow all the lawn all the lawn pages and it's time to scarify, it's time to core, it's time to scalp, and that's mm-hmm. great. And what that's doing right now is exposing the soil. Um, today is a perfect time to do that because we're getting all the rain on Tuesday, hopefully. Yep. Um, but then I hear a lot of people saying, oh, we'll add a fertilizer all top dress, no, I think the first thing you should do is add a soil wetter. And what you yep. want to do is get that those roots down into the soil where they're protected. Once your grass comes back, your lawn comes back, and especially with the broadleaf varieties that you talked about, Trevor, um, will shade, will create a natural shade to the root system because the roots are down into the soil. Now if those root if those um, roots are up in the soil, um, you'll see nice green lawn for the next two weeks because of the rain. First hot day we had, a bit like yesterday, your lawn will go brown. And it'll be like, yep. why? I've been watering it. So I think a soil wetter um, is very important. Do that. It comes in a granule or a liquid. It's your preference. The liquid will get it down really quickly. And just I think every time you sort of fertilise with the slow release, it's a good time to do it as well.
0: To to support what you're saying, the ultimate goal is to get your lawn's root system as deep as possible. And when when we water too much, lawns don't need to send their roots down deep because they can pretty much sit in that top level. And it, it is those first hot days of summer. Usually it's the first couple of weeks in December where you might get three or four days over 30 and suddenly you see these brown patches emerge. And the first response that people have is to go and turn more water onto the lawn. It's up the sprinklers, up the amount of rotation of waterings. You don't need to do that. What you need to do is to make sure that the water that is applied is going deep into the soil and those roots are following it down. And right now is the time to train those roots. And so by putting that wetting agent on now. Can I ask you, um, with wetting agents, how much would you apply at the moment? What's the recommendation Oh,
3: now you're testing me on our application rates, there, yeah. <laughs> Trevor. But you really, realistically, just just go by the the product application rate. So, if you're looking at a granule or a liquid, a really a really simple way if you're using the granule is to do uh, sort of fifty grams per square meter. Um, mm-hmm. And there's no reason if you're using a spreader for for a slow release fertilizer to put it to add your fifty grams or calculate what you're using in your lawn out the front, about 60 square metres. So I'm going to use about 300 grams roughly around there. I hope my maths is right. Add it to my slow release and and, and throw it out um, at yeah. that. So, But with the, with the hose on, um, you know, uh, our two-litre sort of – and I don't want to talk too much about product ahead, Trevor, sorry, but our two-litre yep. will cover 150 square metres. So given a really good, you know, 60, I'll use half a bottle there and that's a really good application. But what I'll try and do is, do, is train my lawn and my plants to – do it to, to grow the roots down. So yeah. the classic the classic example is what you said there in December, the first day it's hot and it starts to go brown and people think more water. People will go out and buy a soil wetter. Whilst that is good and it's a it's a quick fix, do it now. Because the yeah. rain that you're getting, you're not you don't need your sprinklers, you don't need your bore water, you don't need your scheme water. Use the rain, use the natural um, resources that are available to to train those roots. And by the time summer comes around you won't need as much. Just use it as your daily top up when you when you um, fertilise, next time you fertilize use the
0: soil wetter. Yep. Yeah. Hey, it's really good advice. And I think that, that the important thing to understand is there are there are moments in time where if you do something, it actually makes a significant difference to the effectiveness. There's no point in throwing wetting agents out in the middle of summer when you've seen your plants deteriorate. You're a lot better to do it now when they're growing strongly, when you've got natural moisture coming through. Um, the, the take-home I've got from you at the moment is, um, good time to be applying it to, to lawns. And that's uh, obviously very supportive of what Con brought up previously. But the second thing that I think is vitally important that you brought up is actually getting a wedding agent out, getting your wedding can. I, I, would, use, I would use your liquid. I love the liquid. I would get into a watering can, every single hanging basket I've got, every single pot now's the time to give them a good drenching, make sure that water's evenly penetrating through the soil and there are no dry pockets. That's, that's pretty important, isn't it?
3: Yeah, 100%. And and the potting mix in, in its nature is, um, or hanging basket mix, whatever you like to use, it, by its nature is just generally hydrophobic. It yeah. breaks down. As it's breaking down, it creates that waxy substance, the bacteria which breaks it down and gives you all the nutrients to the, um, to the plant actually causes the, the potting mix to go hydrophobic. So when, you, when you're planting a new a uh, premium potting mix, say they will have a, a natural soil wetter in it, but you know if it's six months or you planted it in, in autumn or you're doing it now, by summer it will dry out. So it's just a good habit and the liquid is perfect. Add a cap full into your fertilizer, into your watering can. You should see it foam up, it'll, it'll do a little bit of magic there. And once a really good test is just scrape away the potting mix or your hanging basket. And if the soil or the potting mix is fully wet, or soak through um that's a really good indication if you scrape away and it's dry and underneath your your roots aren't getting the water it needs and even the nutrients which you need as
0: well absolutely brilliant advice i I just have one more question for you i know it's the weekend i know that you probably want to get out and mow the lawn or take the kids out and kick a footy or the lawns
3: I'm, i'm expired by con now trevor so i'm going to go out and do the lawn so
0: that's good. The, the question I wanted to ask you was really with regards to water wise products. So it's a bit like potting mixes. Not all potting mixes are necessarily good potting mixes. Some of them use maybe lots of sand or lots of raw materials and they have not broken down. Some of them are fully composted, they're using lots of organics, they've got fertilizer, they've got wetting agents. When it comes to wetting agents, not all wetting agents are the same. And, and some of them do the job and some of them don't do a great job at all. And there's a big variance in prices. So when people go to the garden centre, they can get pretty confused about what is a good one and what's a bad one. You guys, your EasyWet product has got WaterWise accreditation. What does it take to get WaterWise accreditation? Because I kind of wondered what you have to go through, how many hoops you have to jump through to make sure that it meets the high standard the water corporation is looking for?
3: Yeah, it's a really good question, Trevor, and, and you're right. With potting mixes, you've got standards and Australian standards. Um, you have to meet certain criteria and there's no difference with the water-wise accreditation. So um, they they work with the smart watermark approved um mark as well so normally if you and and they're mainly the body that gets us approved so it kind of When I said dishwashing liquid before, there's some really bad advice about soil wetters out there as well and, and using um, things that aren't credited as soil wetters, and, and that's really bad for the soil. Um, our, our soil wetter, um, and most in the industry, are uh, you know, earthworm friendly, they're frog friendly, they're aquatic friendly, so you, you can use them in your garden with confidence and, and know that they're biodegradable and can break down and let the water in. But it, it stems before my time at Rich Crow Trevor, but I've been um, you know reliably informed that in order to get the WaterWise accreditation we actually had to go through some clinical trials and and we did that with a re- renowned Western Australian University with mm-hmm. what you talked about before, Bassendine Sand, probably one of the most driest water repellent <laughs> soil sands that you can get. So yep. we had to go at d- different application rates, we had to go at different um, usage rates, how much water we used and, and use a, a university trial, got the results, applied to the Smart Watermark um, for the mark, got, a, yep. got it approved due to our data and the water wise followed. So water, the water wise mark is um, really important to us and we're happy to, to have that support from the water corporation. But certainly that mark doesn't come easy and, and nor should it because it's certainly a, a product that um, you know we, we're proud of it and does work and is, it, and is better for the environment, is earthworm friendly, and more importantly, gets water, saves water and gets water to where it's needed the
0: most and mate you you uh, you were you would have been just a baby when uh, this actually happened but western australia was the the original initiator the first ever wedding agents actually came from wa and it was because we needed them for our soil just happens to be the rest of the world's kind of caught up with the fact that Correct. these things are vitally important so we've led the way you guys continue to do that obviously with what you're doing with easy wet which is something people should be checking out in their local garden center or their hardware store right now and taking a look at their lawn their garden their pot plants give it a dose it'll make a massive difference to the way your garden performs through the summer months heath so actually great That's I've got my Trevor. friend
3: now nice to see you Trevor thank you so much um, good luck with the show it's really good to see you
0: thanks buddy look thanks very much and uh, yeah if uh, if you guys want to know any more information about well easy Wet or any of the Waterwise products all you have to do is either check out the water corporations website or visit smartwatermark.org forward slash products now the smart water Watermark, so Smart Approved Watermark is the the testing body that basically accredits all of these products, and this is what Heath brought up earlier on. They do such a good job, and of course, if they can meet that mark, they can then meet the standard that the Water Corporation sets, and you can rely and trust on these products to do the job you need. So it was um it was a really good opportunity to chat to Heath and talk about the amazing work the guys at Rich Grow, a great West Australian company do now if you like what we're doing if you've enjoyed the show remember hit that like button it is always a really good way for us to um to to share with other people the great work we've got a few more questions coming through we're just about at the end of the show though so let me fly into them cheryl is in mandra what kind of conditions does a finger lime tree that's in a pot need well we just talked about it before but they do actually finger limes are an australian native bush tucker plant but they come from sort of that region of um, the central coast or the central part of New South Wales right up into southern Queensland. And what's unique about that is it gets a lot of rainfall in summer. Now, that's not necessarily ideal for us where we don't get any rainfall pretty much in summer. What we need to do is if you're going to grow these and you're going to grow them in a pot, have a look at the pot, make sure it's either a self-watering pot or it's got a tray. So when you water the plant, the water that passes through and beyond the roots and out of the pot is collected. And then that water that's sitting in the tray through the process of capillary action will suck it back up into the soil, allowing those roots to use it. So you're reducing the water that's wasted and at the same time ensuring that that finger line has optimum soil moisture levels. I hope that makes sense. But really the key is Try and keep them protected from windy positions. In Mandra, you can get windy. So look at being on a wind-protected side of the house. Make sure you've got good soil. Make sure you've got a tray underneath that pot and probably give it a bit of controlled release fertilizer now and your finger limes will go crazy, produce lots of fruit, and you'll be really, really happy. Aruni is in Ardros. Hello, Aruni. Ooh, you've asked a good question here. You've sent me a photograph of a Grevillea when you've asked a question, is it a native or a garden variety? Well, it's most definitely a native because all grevilleas are natives, which is the first thing. So I've kind of solved that answer. The question about being a garden variety, it does look to me like it's a cultivar, but it's a little bit difficult because what you can generally see with most of the garden varieties of grevilleas is they've been bred to be more compact. So it makes them a little more ideal for home garden environment. Some of those bigger grevilleas the, the, what I would describe as tropical grevilleas, those ones that, again, come from that summer rainfall part of Australia, um, they tend to have a lot larger flowers and they're very prolific now and will be all the way through summer. But their demand for water is a little bit more. A bit hard to tell at the moment if, if that's a traditional garden variety, but um, the trick with them is even if it was a, more of a wild form, so one of those original species forms, what I would suggest you do is just trim it on a regular basis. Native plants, by trimming them, you reduce the amount of foliage, you reduce the amount of water they need, you keep them compact, you extend their life. They love that. It invigorates them. So don't be scared to give it a prune or a rooney. That's the real solution. Okay. Well, we we have obviously been uh, broadcasting across WA, but we've had a question come in via YouTube from New Zealand previously. We've got one that's come in from Brisbane. My poliskias get ring barked over each winter. They regrow slowly. Is there a pest management method that will prevent the borers from attacking my plants? Now, poliskias are a... um, an old-fashioned plant really they're a beautiful plant they're an exotic plant uh tend to come from sort of tropical regions so brisbane it would work pretty well and when it comes to pests beetles tend to love them and i've got a little natural solution for you if you want to try and keep beetles away from ring barking plants and we did have a bit of a suggestion a bit of a question before that suggested that maybe there's a bit of ring barking going on um borers and beetles hate talcum powder and they hate white pepper. So if you mix white pepper and talcum powder and dust the stem of the plant, it's not a long-term solution because if you've got sprinklers washing it off every day, you've got to do it every day. But if you did do it over a period of time, you will find that you reduce the number of pests um, doing this kind of damage quite dramatically. So I think that my suggestion to you would be to take the natural option, the if you want it to be 100% guaranteed, a systemic insecticide is obviously the way to go. Systemic insecticides move through the sap flow and when these damage the bark or when they're chewing right into the heart of the plant, usually to drill a hole to, to drop a, 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 an egg or, or to put a, some larvae in there, um, a systemic insecticide will kill them off as they as they come in contact with the sap but you want to talk to your local garden centre about what it is you use. That's where getting the right advice is really important. Now, I think we're just about at the end of the run, but I'm going to answer one more question because Jimmy from Frio is with us just about every single show we do, and it's fantastic to have him back. He wants to know, can I transplant a finger lime now? Also, how should I support it after I've transplanted it? Well, Finger limes definitely can be transplanted now. The trick is to make sure that you've got good soil moisture levels, Jimmy. That's the key. So enrich your soil with some organics. Make sure you you give it a good water, probably give it a soak with sea salt. And again, that helps to transplant shock. And then supporting it, well, you need to stake it. That's the, the key. So get a, a bamboo stake, put it into the ground, tie it up, make sure you've got it nice and supported. And Jimmy, you will be enjoying finger lime gin and tonics before you know it. They are fantastic plants. Well, that's it for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, We're very grateful to the Water Corporation for their support, the ability to bring the Garden Gurus live to you across WA is a really unique opportunity. And I'm sure that there's probably a whole bunch of questions that we couldn't answer for you. There's information that you want. If you want a great resource, the way to get it is to go to watercorporation.com.au forward slash WaterWise. That, that resource that's available is uniquely West Australian. There's all sorts of information from the products to use, the places to go and get advice, the garden centres that are WaterWise. It's all there. It is something that every West Australian should rely on. I hope that that has been a, a handy Resource for you in the past and will be for you in the future. Now, for those of you that have won prizes, remember we had books, we had packet seeds. The good news is Michaela is going to send you a message after today's show. Um, It is a a really wonderful thing to get out and get into the garden. And when you've got resources like books, when you've got seeds to plant and stuff, it makes it even more fun. So I hope that you had a win. Uh, Remember, the Garden Gurus is back on Channel 9 this afternoon. Check your local guides so that you don't miss out on our latest episode. Remember, you can always also jump onto our website and catch up on previous stories from The Garden Gurus, it is thegardengurus.tv, or our YouTube channel, thegardengurus.tv. You can listen back to today's live stream, catch up on previous episodes of The Garden Gurus Live by going to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Audible. All of them will allow you to listen to the podcast. And we're very pleased that it's become so popular it's now i think number three most popular podcast in australia which is pretty incredible we're very proud of that um we'll be back here streaming live to facebook at 9am western standard time it's 12pm australian eastern standard time where joanne harris is going to join me joanne is of course from guildford garden center joanne is great knowledge she is just a fountain of knowledge that is all local again, water-wise. She knows some incredible plants too. So it'll be great to have Joe join us. I hope you're going to have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy gardening. We'll look forward to seeing you again soon. The Garden Gurus is back with a brand new season this weekend. Make sure to check out your local TV guide for your times.